You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast, presented by MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas to break down this Saturday's UFC 250 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. MMA Oddsbreaker now has eight talented handicappers for providing their favorite bets for UFC 250 via MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Check out the MMA Oddsbreaker Premium tab on MMAoddsbreaker.com and sign up today. UFC 250 features a 12-fight card in total and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN+, ESPN, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off in a 150-pound catchweight is uh, about between Evan Dunham, who is 18-8-1, and and Herbert Burns, who is 10 and 2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick shout-outs before we get rolling here. Make sure you check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Head over to our Premium Picks tab and click on the link, and you're going to find eight outstanding handicappers there for you to choose from. You can buy one package, buy a few of them. I mean, these guys are amazing, and they're going to make you some money, and they've been great thus far. So proud of those guys. Make sure you check out our team, MMAOB, on MMAOddsbreaker.com, Premium Picks tab. Also, make sure you check me out tomorrow. I'll be on UFC On The Line. We're doing a live show on UFC Fight Pass at 3 p.m. Vegas time. That's 6 p.m. Eastern. So UFC on the line for UFC 250 is back. So make sure you check it out. Now getting right into the fights. Burns open minus 275. The comeback on Dunham plus 195. And right now looking over at the Don Best screen, uh, we're seeing minus 225 plus 185. So Burns still a favorite. Line margins have tightened up a little bit, obviously. 10 cents drop on the dog. Favorite came down a little bit as well. Um, it's kind of been going back and forth. Those early action came in on Burns. Now we're seeing some action come back in on Dunham. Um, I understand the action on Dunham, to be honest with you. I mean, look, Herbert Burns is not his brother. I mean, he's going to get a lot of the hype from his brother for sure. I mean, that was a masterful performance uh, that he put on Gilbert Burns uh, over, obviously, Tyron Woodley recently. Um, that was just, like I said, almost a perfect performance. And the, the improvements he's made is phenomenal, right? And that's going to rub off a little bit on Herbert, his brother, as well. I mean, there's no doubt. They train together. Um, they're going to help each other out. And I think I've seen a positive impact already, you know, throughout the last several fights for Herbert. You know, he's he's definitely improving like Gilbert, but not by leaps and bounds and not at that level. And he's not nearly the fighter that his brother is, unfortunately, you know. So I think Donham's going to be a difficult matchup. Donham's been one of these guys throughout his entire career that's been underrated. I mean, the guy has everything, really. He's got decent striking, underrated striking, really. I mean, he's not going to be blowing you away with his speed, but, I mean, he's got fairly decent accuracy at times. I mean, he, he knows how to use his hands. He's got decent boxing. He's got a little bit of power. Nothing, again, that's going to blow you out of the water, but he knows how to mix things up. Um, he's decent in the clinch. He's got good wrestling ability, uh, good takedown defense, and then he's keen in submissions as well. So he's a total package, really. I mean, we've seen Dunham be susceptible to the body more so than anything else. I mean, those body shots, he can't really absorb that well, and that's kind of what does him in from time to time as well, right? But other than that, man, I mean, the guy is definitely a solid fighter, pushes a very high pace, and he's a tough 
Volkov out. I mean, if this fight hits the scorecards, Burns is not going to win this fight. So I think it's going to be Burns by finish if he does get it done. Um, and you know, so it's a dog or pass situation for me. I think Burns on the feet is okay. He's getting better. Grappling is exactly where it's at, but I think Dunham is a savvy enough defensive grappler that he could be okay here and he could get top position on the ground and probably not get caught by those, uh, triangles that Burns throws up or even on the feet. Like I said, pushes a, a more consistent pace, puts pressure on a little bit and that points Burns on the feet. So I think Dunham can realistically win this fight. Um, again, time off is a big question mark. Of course, he's coming off a couple losses. We're not sure where exactly he is as far as, you know, mental state condition at anything because he's almost retired at this point. So there is a concern there for sure. But in my opinion, I mean, people just undervalue Dunham and, and Herbert Burns, like I said, again, is not his brother Gilbert. So I think we're seeing some bias there, some hype from his brother carrying over to, to this Burns. And I don't think it's quite justified. That said, this is a, a perfect time to get a guy like Dunham. I mean, if you're going to get a win over him, you don't want him in his prime and Dunham is not in his prime. So be careful if you're betting this. I would definitely, definitely not lay the chalk here. I think it's dog or pass and Dunham might be worth a play. Still, I know the line dropped a little bit, but we're still seeing some plus one to 95s out there. I see at Westgate Superbook right now in Vegas, he's still plus 200. So maybe a small stab on Dunham would not be a bad idea. So that's just my personal take. I'm going to actually pick Dunham for the upset win here overall. But like I said, I mean, I'm not that confident because I think it's possible that Burns gets a finish along the way, but we'll see how it plays out. I'm going with Dunham too, but definitely moving forward with caution. As Nick said, uh, Dunham is clearly nearing the end of his career. He's 38 years old. He's coming off of two losses in a row. Um, his last three losses have all been by body strikes were the setup. So that's my biggest concern of all. Um, especially because Gilbert Burns, even though he's more known for his grappling than anything, um, Burns did finish his last fight with this beautiful knee up the middle that caught Nate Landwehr right in the chin and knocked him out cold. Uh, now obviously in terms of a pure striking, you know, he wasn't Landwehr's caliber, but he landed that big shot. He's got the athleticism and speed and power to do it. And if he can do it to Landware, who's talented enough to go back and, uh, and put on a good show against Elkins in his next fight, then he could definitely do it to Dunham. So, uh, I'm concerned about that. Absolutely. Um, that being said, um, Herbert Burns really does not have much of a takedown game. So, uh, his biggest strength in this fight is likely going to be if he can get Dunham on the ground and in a bad precarious position. And I just don't know how he's going to be able to do that easily. Uh, Dunham should be able to keep this upright. And even though Dunham isn't a world beater on the feet, he pushes a, a high pace. He's got good volume. He's got decent technique. You know, he doesn't have a lot of power, but um, as long as he's not getting hit with that nicely timed body shot, um, he can take it too. So, uh, you know, and Herbert Burns watching him fight with his stand up, he, he's dangerous in that he has power and he can mix it up, but he's very hittable. His defense is porous. Um, he really doesn't have a lot of good technique. So I can absolutely see Evan Dunham winning this fight. And as Nick mentioned, you know, he is not his brother. Now he does train with his brother and his brother has improved so rapidly in the past year and a half. Uh, to, you know, go out and dominate Woodley like he did in his last fight. So, um, you know, he has to be getting better too. I mean, it's just not possible for him to be one of his brother's training partners and not also be improving. So that's something else I have to consider is, is Herbert Burns, uh, you know, at least tagging along and, 
getting some extra skills like his brother. So it's very possible that he could have improved enough that, you know, this is a, a, a fight he can win on the feet, but he needs to show it to me first. And I really haven't seen it yet other than a, you know, a perfectly timed knee up the middle. Um, I really haven't seen much out of him on the feet that I'm impressed with at all. And his wrestling isn't good enough to dominate Dunham there either. So I have to side with Evan Dunham here until he proves, proves otherwise. Now, moving up to the light heavyweight division, we have Alonzo Menefield, who is nine and zero, taking on Devin Clark, who is eleven and four. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Menefield opened minus three thirty to come back on Clark at plus two seventy, and right now, what we're seeing on the Donbass screen is minus two twenty for Menefield to come back on Clark at plus one eighty. So obviously the early betters coming in, not dumb. I mean, they came in and gobbled up all that value at plus 270. I think that was a great take. Win or lose, definitely awesome line value there. And more times than not, you're going to end up doing very well grabbing early lines like that. I know the limits are a little bit lower at times with these opening lines, but that being said, I mean, like I said, this is a lot closer of a pick type of fight, a slight lean towards Menafield than it is a plus 270 type of underdog for Clark. I understand the hype behind Menafield. I mean, the guy's an explosive athlete. He's got a huge power. Um, his athleticism, his speed, he's undefeated. There's a lot of hype behind him. I mean, this guy does a lot of great things, and he gets his opponents out of there quick. I think the last four fights that he's had have been under four minutes. I mean, he's just gotten through and destroyed his opponents. So he's capable of doing that here against Clark as well. I mean, we've seen Clark in the past be a little bit chinny, you know, his fight IQ not being the greatest at times either. So would I be shocked if Menafield goes out there and destroys him um, early on? No, but that being said, I think Clark's the better fighter. And I think Clark is also the hardest fight of Menafield's career thus far. I mean, this is a big step up in competition. In my opinion, this is a legit fight. Clark is a well-rounded fighter. He's been in there with great competition. He's not bad on the feet. He's got good wrestling. He's got, he's a good grinder. He's got decent fight IQ, even though I just knocked his fight IQ at times, he does have decent fight IQ and he looks for the takedowns and he looks to kind of control the tempo of the fight. And I think this is going to play out where if Menafield doesn't win this fight early, then when it keeps on trickling into round two or beyond, if it gets that far, it's going to be Clark's fight to win. I mean, he's going to take over the fight, and I think he could potentially get a finish over Menafield. So this is an interesting fight, and this is another dog or pass situation. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this fight should be closer to a pick him with a slight lean towards Menafield, so maybe about a buck 40-ish or so, I think, for Menafield. And you're getting him still at minus... 200 he's at 200 or something like that over 200 right now so um like i said plus 180 there's still some value on clark probably at this spot but again you just have to understand i mean can your money go out the window with the within the first couple minutes absolutely so be careful and i wouldn't go crazy on this fight because menafield is again the undefeated explosive monster basically right now that uh, people are, are definitely intimidated by you know in, in most cases so um he could go out there and do it again but i just think clark is a tough matchup for him and i think that he's going to probably get this fight done so i'm going to pick clark to win straight up I think he's going to kind of get that zero off of uh, Menafield's record here and, and become his first official loss. So let's see how it plays out. But my pick is Clark. Yeah, what well, makes this fight so interesting, and as Nick mentioned, that there's a reason Clark is the toughest fight that Menafield's had, and it's because so far Menafield really hasn't faced uh, you know that many tough guys uh, in the UFC. Um, you know, he beat on. Uh, contender series, he beat a guy, Boat, uh, Deshaun Boatwright in eight seconds. Um, then in the UFC, he faced a uh, Venetius Marrera, who really has, is not very good at all. Just a pure grappler, uh, with zero striking skill. And he just blasted him right away. Uh, they took on Paul Craig, who's, he's better, but he's also somebody that can get blasted right away. 
And that's exactly what he's done, uh, in those two fights. So, um, you know, it's not a huge shock that he's looked so good so far and he could do it again. You know, Devin Clark can get knocked out. Um, he is well-rounded. He's a decent striker. He's a pretty good wrestler. Um, he can mix things up pretty well. So, uh, if Menafield does not take him out right away, this fight gets interesting in a hurry. You know, Menafield, I don't think he's ever been past the 22 second mark of the second round. So what happens if he can't take Devin Clark out? If Clark's defense is, is, uh, decent, if Menafield can't find those openings, can't crack Clark on the chin, uh, I think this fight gets interesting in a hurry. Clark is a pretty good wrestler. He, uh, is able to stand on the feet and trade with uh, some talented fighters. And then uh, when their guard gets lowered a little bit, he shoots in and puts them on their back. And Menafield is not dangerous whatsoever if he's on his back. So um, it's really going to be interesting to see if Menafield's, A, his takedown defense holds up, if his conditioning holds up, B, and then three, if his striking offense is good enough to cut through Clark's defense. So, you know, he has a lot of things that he has to do if he wants to win here um, or just avoid losing. So, yes, Menafield's talented. He's got power. He's got speed. Uh, he's got the explosiveness. But if he can't get in there and take out Clark quickly and this becomes a dogfight, uh, I'm on Team Clark all the way. So I'm going to side with Devin Clark. I think that this is a little bit too much too soon for Menafield. But... If Menafield is steadily improving, he could make me look silly and take out Clark just like he's been taking out everybody else. But my pick is going to be Clark. Now, dropping all the way down to the flyweight division, we have Jusir Formiga, who is 23 and 7, taking on Alex Perez, who is 23 and 5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? For me, go up at minus 130, the comeback on Perez at plus 110, and the line has flipped. Perez is currently minus 135, the comeback, or 130, I should say, minus 130, and the comeback plus 110 on Formiga. So, again, line flip, more action coming in Perez's way. The line climbed up to, I believe, around minus 150 at one point. Now we're seeing action back on Formiga. So, a lot of split opinions out there in this fight. This is a phenomenal fight, obviously. It's a great fight. Both these guys or at the top of the food chain in the weight class. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, both of these guys are just highly skilled flyweights that can get it done, really. I think pre-film, I was going into this fight thinking, you know what, Perez is just going to destroy Formiga on the feet um, because I, he's got that knockout power. He's He does have that going for him. He's got outstanding wrestling, so he should be able to keep this fight upright. Uh, and then, like I said, just kind of be the harder hitter on the feet. But his striking, though, is kind of hot and cold, meaning that, I mean, it's not really – as good as I like it to be. I mean, at times it does fare well for him. I mean, I think in that uh, Shorty Torres fight, he let his hands go a little bit more frequently. And obviously we've seen the result there. He does have power. So I'm not, you know, wrong when, with uh, my pre-fight analysis thinking the Perez was going to have knockout power. He definitely has knockout power. And I could still see him knocking out Formiga here. But overall, I think, I think the improvements of Formiga's striking is evident, man. I mean, I think Formiga kind of mixes things up a little bit better overall and this is going to be a, a heck of an affair on the feet even if these guys don't want to go to the ground like i said perez typically likes to take the fight to the floor and not wrestle his opponents but the problem here is for me is such a ground wizard that it's hard to actually control him and, and get him down there in most cases at least and then you got to just be very cautious i mean he's got he's one of the best uh, jujitsu practitioners in the weight class for sure so i don't know if that's a game plan here a smart one that you want to play and then again the improvements of Formiga overall on the feet 
is really impressive, I think. So this is going to be a competitive fight back and forth. I don't, I mean, the, the, my only concern here is, I guess, Formiga is getting a little bit, um, older. I mean, he's been in a lot of wars. He's coming off a very tough fight, you know, in his last fight, a controversial, somewhat of a controversial fight. I think, I thought he did, uh, lose the fight. I think the fight went the right way, but at the same time, a lot of people uh, believe that Moreno probably lost that fight too, and it could have been a win uh, for Formiga. Like I said, I don't think so. I think Moreno deserved to get that win. But, I mean, that shows a lot for Moreno's improvement, but that could also be a sign of a little bit of a decline here because Formiga was expected to win that fight. And, you know, in most cases, I thought he would as well. But, again, hats off to Moreno there. But I'm just saying we could see a spot in Formiga's career where he is starting to decline a little bit as a fighter. And if that's the case, then obviously Perez is going to have – that momentum right now that he's riding. I mean, he's looked overall, he's looked really good in the UFC that Benavidez lost is kind of a head scratcher. I was kind of surprised how all that kind of played out and he did look bad in that fight. Uh, but again, Formiga doesn't have Benavidez type power, but I think he can be effective here. So I've been going back and forth. If you can't tell on this fight, because I think, you know, the dog could have some value here. And I was, like I said, I was kind of leaning towards Perez a little bit more, but to me now it's almost a stay away from play. I'm not going to take either guy because I do think I expect Perez to still get this done. I think that he can possibly finish Formiga as the fight goes. And maybe if he does get top position and he's cautious, he can rain down some of that nasty ground and pound that he has. I mean, he's very effective with ground and pound for sure. And again, with the Formiga maybe losing a step, this is probably the right time to get him. But Formiga is going to be game and it's not going to be a, an easy win for Perez. I mean, like I said, if he hits the scorecards, I could easily see Formiga stealing the decision here. So that's why I'm going back and forth. I'm staying away from it now instead of betting either side. And there has been two way sharp action coming out of this fight as well. But that's going to be the case on a lot of these fights we discuss. I mean, a lot of split opinions and a lot of good opinions are on both guys. And I can understand why. Like I said, I mean, both guys are kind of tempting in this spot. So I respect it. But for me, I'm just going to stay away from it because I don't have a clear, clear read. I don't have confidence enough in this spot to actually go out there and lay the chalk even look if this fight drops to a pick there might be some value like exactly pick a minus 110 either way there might be some value that opens up on Perez but um, overall where it is right now at minus 130 minus 135 I'm not willing to even lay that chalk right now because I think Formiga might be a live dog in this spot so I'm going to pass it I'm going to pick Perez barely to win this fight like I said just a slight pick because I think he does right now have the momentum and I think he's got enough power to give Formiga some problems but man if this hits the scorecards it's gonna be a split decision type of fight I have a feeling for so that said the slight edge is Perez but not a very confident pick here to be honest with you and I do still think that Formiga has some gas left in the tank I mean that fight against Moreno was crazy close um, I think MMA decisions actually had the media scoring it slightly for Formiga um, you know, they still had some people go for Moreno and it was a close fight. It could have gone either way. So, uh, it's not like Formiga fought badly though. Every round was practically a toss up. So, uh, and it was just a, a wildly entertaining bout. Um, this time around though, I think Formiga actually has quite a few advantages. You know, Perez, even though, you know, he's known a little bit for having some pop on the feet. I don't think he's as good of a striker as Formiga. Formiga's really made some advancements there. Um, and then on the ground, obviously, yes, Perez likes the top position, but does he really want to go to the canvas with Formiga? Um, only one person in UFC history has, uh, outworked Formiga on the ground. And that was, uh, Triple C, Henry Cejudo, who is retired now. So he is the best ground fighter in the flyweight division at this point. Um, and you look at, looking at the track record, Formiga has beat some very good fighters. Uh, that Perez, I don't think would be able to beat, you know, he, he beat Figueredo, he beat, um, you know, Pettis. So, 
know, this is a guy that has some quality wins over some very good opponents. And while yes, Perez, um, started red hot before running into Benavidez and has been on a slight win streak since, uh, you got to look at who he's also been beating recently. And, you know, Mark De La Rosa and Jordan Espinosa, those aren't exactly world beaters. Um, the, the best win on Perez's, uh, record by far was Jose Torres, uh, when, uh, Perez, you know, knocked him out. I mean, that was eye opening, but other than that, it really hasn't been that impressive against that decent of fighters. And, uh, I'm still waiting, honestly. So I think, uh, this is a huge step up for Perez because, you know, the, the only other time that he's really stepped up this way in the UFC was when he took on Benavidez and, and he clearly wasn't ready there. So, um, I mean, the only thing really holding me back from thinking Formiga dominates is that Formiga has shown to have some chin issues in the past. You know, he, he, he getting knocked out by Benavidez. Um, and he also, uh, is 35 years old. And as I say, uh, the lighter weight class you are, age hurts the worst because it's all about speed and reflexes. Um, and the ability to take a shot and all of that starts to deteriorate in your thirties. Um, you know, basically a 32 year old in the flyweight division is the same as somebody being like 40 in the middleweight division, in my opinion. So, um, I'm, I'm concerned, but you know, I still think that Formiga is talented enough to, to just be the better fighter and get the job done. I think, uh, he can out grapple Perez. I think he can outstrike Perez. And as long as he doesn't get caught, I think he can win a decision, maybe even submit him. So my pick is gonna be Formiga. I think, uh, I think he probably wins a decision here. Now, moving on to the ESPN preliminary card, we have a middleweight contest between Charles Bird, who is 10 and 6, and Mark Patolo, who is 12 and 5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Bird open minus 160, the comeback of Patolo at plus 140. And now what we're seeing on the Donbass screen is Bird about up to minus 180, the comeback of Patolo at plus 150. So a little bit more action is coming out on Bird, and I understand it. I mean, looking at the matchup here, Patolo is coming up to middleweight again. I mean, his last fight was at welterweight, and that was a lackluster performance to say the least. A lot of people really were disappointed in his performance over Potter. Credit Potter for being tough and taking the fight you know, to Patolo and getting the win. He deserved that win, but that really exposed Patolo in a lot of ways, I think, and it just wasn't a very good fight for him. That said, his fight before that, though, on the Dana White contender series was a a thing of beauty. I mean, you can look at that matchup, and that was up at middleweight, by the way, and Patolo fought a bigger opponent and, you know, with some tools. I mean, Sumter had some length, and he had some good kicks, and he had some good, you know, attributes on the feet, I guess, but... Patolo ended up showing those coconut bombs, as they like to call them. And I mean, he was uh, delivering some devastating body shots. His hands were definitely on point, and he looked really solid in that matchup. But again, it's against a weak opponent in Sumter, in my opinion, right? Now, he he stepped up and fought a gritty, savvy vet at welterweight. He dropped down a weight class and then just looked terrible. And then you look back through his other fights and his other opponents, you've seen some ups, ups and downs from Patolo overall. So he's not a guy that you really want to get behind. Now, again, he's moving back up to middleweight facing Bird. Bird is definitely the more explosive athlete. He's faster. He's got more power in his punches. His stand-up continues to improve. I like what I see offensively from Bird. And, of course, he's got good takedowns. So he should be able to control this fight and get the takedown when he wants to as well and has a better submission game to go along with it. So there's a lot to like about Bird here. And that's why people are coming in slightly betting him up and picking him a little bit in more more cases. And 
I understand it. But the problem with me about Bird is, man, the last two losses that he's had, I mean, really have exposed him somewhat as well. Shabazian just started on, you know, unloading with those elbows and, and got him out of there, of course, after landing, obviously, a punch. But Stewart, on the other hand, he was, I, you know what? I was impressed by Bird striking in that Stewart fight. I mean, he was looking really good up until he wasn't. Um, that's the problem. And then you see some quit in him. You know, he starts getting it, you know, put on him a little bit. And again, Stewart with elbows ended up smashing him and, and got him out of there. And, and you just see kind of Bird you know, curled up in a ball and has that little bit of quit in him. I mean, not, like I said, those were devastating elbows for sure. Those were devastating strikes that he took. So, uh, you know, not knocking him that much, but at the same time, I think he might have a little bit of quit in him when, when things get a little bit tougher and he gets in deeper waters. So Patolo could take this into deeper waters a little bit and just let his hands go. I mean, who knows how this fight plays out really. So again, kind of playing devil's advocate here a little bit, because like I said, I'm just not sold on bird quite yet because I do think he's got, you know, some vulnerability on the feet there, of course, but offensively, the guy's fun to watch and he really should be Patolo in this spot. I mean, there's no question about it. He's the better fighter. So I'm going to pick Bird. I mean, he should be, like I said, the natural middleweight here, here in this spot has so many physical attributes over Patolo. I think you should win. I'm going to pick him. But again, as this fight climbs, I think you got to be careful. You don't want to lay much over the price that's out there right now around minus 180. There is some minus 170s out there as well. But if this fight continues to creep up at minus 200 or so, stay away from it, man. I mean, a lot of people I think are going to be throwing burden to parlay too as well, which I guess I can understand it. But I wouldn't go too too much as far as uh, you know a money laying down on bird right now because i just think he's got that quit in him he's coming off two knockout losses even though this is a stylistically better matchup for him i still don't trust him all the way so my pick is bird but another tough spot really i mean i'm not intrigued by betting him to be honest with you and i'm coming in the same way now bird is and patolo both have been pretty disappointing so far but at least with bird um, you know, he f- took on some pretty good fighters. You know, Darren Stewart is talented and Bird was winning that fight, as Nick said, until he got knocked out. And then Edmund Shabazian's one of the best up and coming middleweight prospects that there is. So it's not the worst thing in the world that he ended up losing. Um, that being said, uh, Patolo, on the other hand, I just felt, uh, that he's been relatively disappointing in general, just has not looked very good. Um, he does have pretty good hands. So if he can keep this upright and stay in boxing range and force Bird into a boxing match, then yeah, Patolo's got a pretty good shot. But will he be able to do that? Um, I just don't think he can because Bird is more well-rounded. He mixes things up better. He has better wrestling. I think he can uh, take him down. And, uh, you know, Patolo's boxing goes out the window when he's on his back. And I think that um, the fact that Bird does have that in his back pocket is going to be his saving grace here. So pure stand-up fight. Yes. I think Patolo can win. Or as Nick said, if bird gets tired and can't get the takedown, Patolo can win, but um, bird should be able to get him down. He sh- he's good enough uh, with his level changes that he should be able to put Patolo on his back. And I think he puts him there enough to uh, win enough rounds to take the decision. So, my pick is going to be Charles Bird. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Cody Stamen, who is 18-2-1, taking on Brian Kelleher, who is 21-10. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Stamen opened minus 180, the comeback on Kelleher plus 155, and right now what we're seeing on the Dombest screen 
is minus 265 plus 215. So Stamen got steamed up a little bit, rightfully so. I mean, at minus 180, there's no question you got to come in there and take Stamen. So good grab for those of you guys that got uh, the low number. I mean, it should be Stamen's fight to win or lose, to be honest with you here in this spot. I like I like him a lot overall. I mean, he's a good fighter, talented for sure. Um, I mean, he's got everything you want to see in a fighter a little bit. I mean, he, with the wrestling background that he has, he's got some speed. He's got some power. I mean, he mixes things up. He, he sets a high pace, and he can, you know, kind of push forward and, and score points too as well. So there's a lot to like about him, and he's not obviously easily controlled. But at the same time, I give a lot of respect to Kelleher. He got me last time. I mean, I bet Hunter Azure against him, and Hunter Azure was looking great, and Kelleher ended up landing that bomb. Um, you know, again, yeah, give him credit. He took advantage of Azure slowing down a little bit and landed a beautiful, well-timed, accurate punch and just ended the fight. So Kelleher has that kind of savvy experience where, you know, he's got that knockout power on the feet for sure. He could do damage. We've seen it time and time again. It was So it's not like a flukish thing from Kelleher. I mean, he's a smart fighter. He's always game. He's always coming to fight. He's always in shape um, regardless. So you know what you're getting with Kelleher. And then you got to also consider Kelleher has a nasty guillotine choke. And if Stamen does try to take this fight to the floor, he's always got to be cautious, you know, kind of about his neck more so than anything else because Kelleher could get around that neck and just end the fight. I mean, if once he gets that lock around your neck, you're pretty much done. There's no, nothing you could do about it. So there's some obstacles Stamen has to get through in this spot for sure. Um, I know he's going to have a heavy heart with his personal situation with his brother as well. I mean, that might factor in here. That might be a little bit of motivation as well. So uh, I'll let you guys kind of look up his personal stuff. But um, that said, as far as stylistical matchup goes, I mean, I think this is a winnable fight for Stamen, and it's hard to pick against him. I mean, I think this guy's more than a talented fighter, and I think he can make a run towards the top of the division. He just has to, you know, like I said, be smart and not get caught really in this fight and he should win on the scorecards. It'll be competitive. Keller Kerr will be game. Even if he hits the scorecards, I mean, it's not going to be a blow up by any means, but at the same time, it's Stamen's fight to win or lose. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Stamen has enough power on the feet that he could, he might not Keller her out to be honest with you. Uh, I think that's not out of the question either. So I, I think Stamen has a chance to finish inside. I think obviously if he hits the scorecards, it's Stamen's fight um, as well. And then Keller basically has to finish this fight to win this fight is what I'm, I'm trying to spit out more so than anything else. And I'm not sure he does it. Stamen's a pretty game fighter and I think he's overall, I know he suffered that Aljo, uh, you know, defeat here not too long ago, and that knee bar was just vicious. But I, I just don't see that happening again here um, in this spot. I think Stamen will prevail, and I think uh, again at the current betting odds, I think a lot of people might be throwing him in a parlay or two. Um, and I can understand it. Maybe that might be the way to go. Again, nothing a huge, not a huge bet where the current odds are right now. So might that might be the way to play it? Is like you know mix him up in some parlays with some other guys on here and just going a little bit lighter and not putting a, a lot of money down on this one either. Now again, I'll just say it from this fight. I mean. There's a lot of competitive matchups from top to bottom on this card for a reason. There's only two huge lines, and the rest of them are like minus 250 and below. Um, in most cases, they're under minus 200 or so. So that tells you a lot. This is a great match card. There will be a lot of competitive matchups here and a lot of competitive fights. So it's not a card, I think. You know, you can pick your spots, and if you're highly confident, obviously, and, and you're getting a good price that you think is way undervalued, then you fire hard for sure. But I don't think this is the case, especially at this price. At minus 180, I would make a decent-sized bet on statement. No question about it but at minus 265 you can't do it i mean you got to respect kelleher enough at that price so that's what i'm trying to get out here i think that stamen you know is going to win this fight and he might be a little bit left as far as parlay material goes but outside of that you got to be cautious because you got to respect kelleher so my pick is stamen though to win yeah the only real concern for me is that this is taking place at featherweight where kelleher recently had success with a very nice performance against azure um took took advantage of Azure starting to slow down. 
Um, I don't think that's going to happen here, though. You know, Cody Stamen is one of the more action-packed, aggressive cardio machine bantamweights in the division. And the fact that he also, that Kelleher and him both are normally bantamweights, I think that that kind of evens out. And Stamen's not going to slow down, so I don't see Kelleher finding that big golden opportunity. And Stamen is just the better wrestler, the better athlete, younger um, you know, he's just got everything going for him against Kelleher here. Um, I mean, the only thing really that I think Kelleher has is that he does hit harder, but, uh, I think Stamen is more aggressive on the feet. I think Stamen throws more often. He's going to be forcing Kelleher to fight off of his back foot like he was in the first round against Azure before bouncing back. And I think that Stamen can keep that same pressure going for three straight rounds and mix in takedowns where he is one of the better wrestlers in the, the division. So uh, this is, you know, Kelleher's going to have his hands full. And unless he clips Stamen, and we really haven't seen Stamen hurt that much in uh, striking either. So, you know, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for Kelleher to really get a lot of things going. I just think Stamen's better than him relatively everywhere here. And he's going to need to knock him out potentially or sub- catch him with a submission uh, out of nowhere. Um, and Stamen did get submitted by Sterling, so it's possible, but I still think it's pretty unlikely. So I'm going to side with Cody Stamen. I just think that he outworks Kelleher in every facet and takes a one-sided decision. Now, this next fight is uh, a little interesting because the, the line has not been released. Uh, just, you know, an hour or two ago, uh, Gerald Mearshart's opponent, uh, Ian Heinish, dropped out of the fight uh, super late notice and a new guy came in. His name's Anthony Ivy. So Mearshart's fighting Anthony Ivy on about two days notice. And, uh, Ivy's the one stepping in. He's a welterweight eight and two from Texas. And we're not really going to break this one down because first off the odds aren't released. And second, we really haven't had enough time to, to study it because it literally just got announced, but we'll just both say, I'll speak for Nick here that, uh, we both think that Mearshart should be able to win this fight. Uh, Ivy's out of his weight class, super short notice, making his UFC debut against a pretty good UFC veteran in Mearshart. And Ivy, even though he's dangerous, five wins in a row, all stoppages, last three were knockouts. So he could win, but his two losses were by submission, and that's kind of Mearshart's bread and butter. So uh, talking to Nick before the podcast, we both agreed that we think Mearshart's going to win and that he'll probably win by submission. But anything can happen. Uh, we've seen crazier things before. So Ivy could potentially clip him, but we're still going to side more often than not that Mearshart gets the job done here. So moving on to the featherweight division, we have Chase Hooper, who is 9-0-1, taking on Alex Caceres, who is 15-12. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Caceres opened the favorite, minus 120. The comeback on Hooper, minus 110. This line has skyrocketed the other way. Now it flipped, and we're currently seeing the price of Hooper at minus 185. The comeback on Caceres at plus 155. So again, minus 185, plus 155 right now, and, and Hooper opened as low as minus 110. So 
needless to say, everybody coming in on a Hooper's wagon. I'll tell you what, this is going to be the toughest fight of Hooper's career for sure, I think, because, I mean, Caceres is one of those guys that can hang in there with the top of the food chain as well. The guy's underrated. I know he's almost a 500 type of fighter, but that being said, he's skilled everywhere the fight takes place. I like what I see from Caceres on the feet. Typically, he's got a decent fight IQ overall. He's got decent wrestling. Um, his submission game's not bad at all. So there's a lot to like about him. And Hooper is not going to have an easy fight here, obviously. But I think there's a huge advantage, obviously, when Hooper gets his fight to the ground. And I mean, Caceres, we've seen him time and time again be susceptible to terrific, excellent grappler types and guys that can dominate the ground game. And that's exactly what you see with Hooper. So that's why stylistically it's a tough matchup for Caceres. I think that Hooper eventually will get this to the floor. And once he does, I mean, I, I think he could slice through Caceres' guard. He could slice through, take his back, you know, submit him by rear naked choke. He could get the mount and just start dropping bombs. You know, he's got decent ground and pounds as well. His ground control and the ground aspect of his game in general is where it's at. And it's just devastating at times. So that's why everybody's coming in and betting Hooper in this spot. Um, because, you know, deservingly so. If he gets this fight to the ground, I think it's going to be a clear path to victory for him. So yeah, that's the way to go. I mean, there's not much more to be said. If, if Hooper does not get this fight to the ground, then Caceres, I think, will beat him up and pick him apart a little bit along the way, and, and he can make this fight look ugly for Hooper. So Caceres is always game. I have a ton of respect for him, but I do understand, like I said, the early take in Hooper and why the line inflated like it has. Now, as it climbs up, though, again, the value from minus 110 to minus 185, minus 190 is out there right now. You gotta almost stay away from it. I mean, it's been steamed up way too much right now. And Caceres, again, is probably the most dangerous opponent and best opponent that Hooper's faced to date. So you gotta respect the guy a little bit. And if you miss the boat on the line, you miss the boat. Simple as that. You gotta be disciplined and you gotta stay away. Uh, there might be other ways to bet this. I mean, you can look at the inside the distance prop. You can look at the knockout prop. You can look at the, obviously the submission prop for Hooper. That's gonna be enticing as well. So that might be the better way to kind of lay a little bit of money down since we guys, you guys missed the boat at this point. If you haven't already took that early line on Hooper, um, that might be the way to go. But outside of that, just be a little bit cautious because you got to respect Caceres. If, again, if you look back at the history of some of his fights, he's been in there with really solid opponents and he's done very well. So Hooper is definitely an intriguing matchup for him because, I mean, this could definitely be one of his biggest flaws. Like I said, we've seen time and time again, Caceres get out grappled and submitted by dominant grapplers. And that's exactly what he's facing here. So the pick is Hooper for me. I think he eventually does get it to the floor. And once he does, we'll see him go to work. And that's probably how the fight ends. So the pick is Hooper. Just be careful at the current line though. And I'm going to side with Hooper as well. Um, I just think that Alex Caceres's biggest enemy has historically been really good grapplers. Um, he's been submitted, I think, seven times in his career out of his 12 career losses. And, um, there have been some grapplers that have just tied this kid in knots over the course of his career. Now, Caceres is well-rounded. He's a capable fighter. I mean, who can forget the, the five round war he had with, uh, Yair Rodriguez? Really good performance. Uh, his knockout win against, uh, or his victory against Sergio Pettis, uh, stoppage looked, he looked great there too, but, um, historically when he faces really good grapplers, he can get embarrassed. And I think that Chase Hooper is one of those really talented up and coming grapplers. Now, in terms of pure standup, no, uh, Hooper's not there yet, but, uh, I don't think it stays standing. Um, Caceres does not have that good a takedown defense. And the second this goes to the floor, I think it's going to be all Hooper, but, on the feet, yeah, Caceres is going to have a shot. He's got some decent hands. He's got some speed. He's got a lot of good technique. So uh, this is going to be compelling. 
basically grappler versus striker matchup. Even though Caceres does have some ground skills, um, I mean, it just, whenever he faces those really good submission guys, he gets tied up in knots. And I think that that's what's going to happen here. Uh, there's no guarantee that, uh, he gets submitted, but I can see, uh, Hooper either submitting him or TKOing him on the ground. I mean, as we saw in that last fight, you know, he was just unleashing ground and pound from a dominant position. So this guy's very good with this positioning and maintaining it. And I think, uh, Caceres is going to be in a world of hurt if and when this goes to the floor. So I'm going to side with Chase Hooper. Now, moving on to the main card in the Bantamweight division, we have Sean O'Malley, who is 11-0, taking on Eddie Wineland, who is 24-13-1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? O'Malley opened minus 400, the comeback on Wineland at plus 310. And right now what we're seeing on the Donbass screen is minus 500, the comeback around plus 375, plus 400s out there as well for Wineland. So, again, another spot where O'Malley got steamed up. Hey, the cat's out of the bag with this guy, man. I'm telling you, I, we've seen it time and time again. I I was trying to almost fade him in a few fights with O'Malley, find a reason not to get behind this guy. And then after film study, I told you, man, this guy's more than legit. There's no question about it. I mean, O'Malley is game. I mean, his striking is technical. It's fast it's powerful way more power than he seems to have too as well i mean he, he's got it all i mean he's a total package obviously he's very marketable the ufc likes this guy as well because of his persona the way he kind of carries himself he's got that kind of cocky arrogance sort of speak as well so there's a lot to like about o'malley and he delivers man the guy delivers so i mean that blowout over kinon is in his last fight i don't think people expected it to be that quick kinon isn't a bad opponent you know i mean not, we picked him we bet him of course um, so I was expecting that sort of to happen, but as quick as it did and as dominant as it was, that was even more impressive. So O'Malley has it all right now. And, and this is an awesome matchup for him because he, if he gets it, gets the W here, it's, it's a very solid opponent, the toughest opponent to date for him, to be honest with you. I know Wineland's getting up there in age a little bit, but he's a savvy vet, man. And he's been in there with some of the best in the world, obviously from time, you know, time and time again. And Wineland has that power. He still has that old man strength. He's still got good boxing and he has wrestling to keep the fight upright most times. And he doesn't utilize his offensive wrestling as much as um, we'd like to see him use it sometimes because he likes to stand and bang and knock people out in his own right. So I think O'Malley's definitely hit for a firefight here for sure. But at this point of his career, I think he's getting Wyland at the right time and I think he can put him out. So, I mean, it, it's obvious at this price, you got to stay away from it. I, I wouldn't lay minus 500. There's no way you could do that at this point. So stay away from it, watch it and enjoy it because it should be a firefight and it should be a fun one. If you're going to bet O'Malley, it's probably another case where, you know, you bet him by knockout or inside the distance or something like that. Or this is another spot that's probably going to get parlayed a lot by a lot of people. So the sports books, though, you got to be cautious. Some of these fights that I'm mentioning are going to be parlay material for a lot of people. And you know how that goes sometimes. So be careful. You don't know which one of these is going to be a parlay buster for sure. And there's probably going to be one that happens. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out. But that being said, I think it's O'Malley's time right now, and this is just a great matchup because you're getting the young gun going against a savvy vet, a respectable vet that's going to look great on his resume. So I'm picking O'Malley. I think he probably gets it done inside the distance, of course, um, more than likely by knockout. But it should be a heck of a fight, and it should be a fun one to watch. So the pick is O'Malley. And I'm going to side with O'Malley as well. Um, you know, this kid is just crazy talented. Uh, he's got power. He's got speed. He's got technique. He's got a decent ground game. You know, he's got everything going for him. Um, and Eddie Wineland, he's going to be dangerous. This is no joke. This is, uh, the toughest fight of O'Malley's career, 
but he's getting Wineland at a good time. You know, kind of like how Herbert Burns may be getting Dunham at the right time. Um, you know, Eddie Wineland is uh, getting up there. Even he's been fighting for a really long time, especially for a 35 year old. Uh, he's been fighting for 17 years. Uh, and it's been, uh, let me check how long just to double check, but, um, it has been 14 years since he's been WEC champion. That was the last time he was a champ. Um, or at least that was the time he, since he won it, uh, he lost it to Chase Beeb, uh, about a year later. But that being said, um, you know, Wineland, he's, he's a gamer. He's got power. He's got a, a really unorthodox striking style where he's more of a counter striker, but he puts pressure on his opponents. You know, there's a lot going for him. And his last fight, he looked good against a Popov, bouncing back from two t- tough losses to Dodson and uh, Alejandro Perez. But, um, you know, this is a tough fight for him. Uh, this is kind of one of those tests where we see if, uh, Wineland's got game, uh, or is he gonna, you know, falter to the up and comer? The last time that this really happened was probably actually, uh, back in 2010, 10 years ago, <laughs> uh, Wineland got thrown in there against uh, an up and comer named Ken Stone. And if you remember, Stone was a really good grappler and Wineland slammed him and knocked him out. Uh, so, and then that was actually his last fight in the WEC. But, um, you know, he's had a very up and down UFC run. Uh, and I think that this is a really tough test um, because uh, Wineland's a lot more vulnerable now. Uh, at 35 years old with so much wear and tear on him and throughout his career. And as I said, you know, the older you get, uh, the tougher it gets. And I think he's going to have his hands full. I mean, O'Malley is super talented. He's young, 10 years younger. Um, he hits really hard. He mixes things up very well, has a good head kick. Like we saw in the Quinones fight and Quinones is a talented fighter and, uh, O'Malley just destroyed him. So, I think that there's a really good chance that not only does O'Malley win, but O'Malley finishes uh, Wineland. And that's no easy task. Wineland's tough as nails. But I do think that he's in a position where he could get caught. He could get finished. Uh, that being said, Wineland is super game. He's still got a lot of power. That's the last thing to go. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that Wineland catches uh, O'Malley and hurts him. But... Uh, that being said, I'm still going to side with O'Malley. I just think, you know, I got to side with the youth, the, the up and coming super prospect. And for those of you that like to fade, you know, the, the hyped prospect, I think maybe wait, wait until uh, O'Malley's in there against a top 10 guy and, uh, Wineland's not quite there anymore. So I think that this is still a very winnable fight for O'Malley and, uh, maybe wait till next one because uh, I think O'Malley does win and possibly wins by knockout. Now, Moving up to the welterweight division, we have Neil Magny, who is 22 and 7, taking on Anthony Rocco Martin, who is 17 and 5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Magny opened up minus 150, the comeback on Martin at plus 130. And right now at the Don Best Green, we are seeing pretty much minus 140 on Magny, the comeback on Martin at plus 120. So this has been a fight that's been bouncing up and down a little bit. There is two reaction coming in this fight. A lot of split opinions for sure on this one as well. Another well-matched fight. I mean, this is phenomenal because I think you got a case where Magny's always been a little bit underrated throughout his career. And the guy just has a lot of skill. I mean, he's got that length, first of all. The physical attributes of Magny, you can't replicate oftentimes, obviously. I mean, that's it's just for this weight class, 
I mean, he's long. He can be effective. He knows how to use that length. He's got good fight IQ. He's got good conditioning. He, and then he's got the technical skill set to go along with it. So he's a tough out. I mean, he's got wins over Gaslam. He's got wins over Lombard, Condit. I mean, the list goes on. Former champion Johnny Hendricks. I mean, he's got some quality wins throughout his career for a reason. The guy is a good fighter, and he still gets underrated. So just matchups are everything for this guy. I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's how you match up with him. And, of course, he suffered some tough defeats knockout losses uh, from time to time against some, you know, pretty nasty strikers along the way, but shows a lot of heart and he's not easy to get out of there for sure. So that being said though, Martin, man, on the other side of it, he's been impressive. I mean, he could arguably, arguably be on like a 10 fight winning streak. I mean, his last loss, um, it was a majority decision to Damian Maya before that, that Abin Mercier fight was a split decision as well. They were close fights. So he's on a roll and he's gotten so much better. I mean, you know, I scratch my head every time I see him recently because I'm thinking, is this the same Martin that we saw early on in his career? I mean, he's definitely improved to the point where his fight IQ is better. He pushes a higher pace. His conditioning's better. He's got enough power and zap on the feet now to make things interesting for sure against Magny. I mean, Magny's going to have this huge reach advantage, but again, the harder hitter, make no mistake, at this point in their career is Martin. I mean, he's so he's going to be dangerous on the feet for sure. Um, and on top of it all, Martin has some solid wrestling. He doesn't use it often, uh, which is a shame, but I mean, he does have the capabilities to take the flight, fight to the floor, and he also has a pretty good submission game as well. So I've been nothing but impressed by Martin. I think he's underrated as well. I mean, he's been on an extreme roll. And he's facing a very game opponent, as we're seeing in Magni. So this is, like I said, another outstanding matchup. A great time to match these guys against each other. So I'm leaning slightly, not as confident as everybody else, because I see, I think most people are leaning towards Magni's way. I mean, again, with the physical attributes, I get it. He should be able to outpoint Martin, you would think, and win a, you know, unanimous type decision win or a 29-28 type of decision win for sure. But man, with the improvements Martin's made, I think Martin's going to be game and he's going to hang in there. So it's not as confident as everybody else seems to be on Magni. Um, but I do think Magni should get the W here. I mean, like I said, I think his length, the ability to outpoint most opponents that he has, he's got good grappling. I mean, offensively, he gets some takedowns too, so don't get me wrong. I mean, he's the type of fighter that can get the fight to the ground and uh, do some damage there as well. So there's a lot to like about Magni for sure. And again, that fight IQ to go along with it. So I will lean Magni's way. I just think that Martin's going to come in and put on a great performance and it's going to be a tough fight either way. So that's why I'm not as confident overall as most people, but my pick is still Magni. And I, I just can't wait to see this fight. It should be a good one. Yeah, there's a lot to like with this fight. Um, the, the main thing that uh, I keep thinking about is Magni has all the the edges. Uh, Magni has the size. Magni has the reach. Uh, Magni has the wrestling. Um, I just think it's going to be a, you know, a tough task here for Martin. Uh, Martin is super talented. You know, I've liked Martin ever since his UFC debut when I expected him to come in and pull off a monster upset. Uh, he didn't come through for me then, but since he's moved up to the welterweight division, he's looked great. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a tough task for him. Now, uh, the main thing that I'm concerned about is with Martin is that Magny looked so good in his last fight. You know, he came back after a pretty long layoff against a red hot Li Jing Long. And Magny just absolutely schooled him, uh, dominated that fight from start to finish. He got takedowns. He outworked him on the feet. Uh, and, and this was a Li Long that was at his peak at this point in his career. You know, he was coming off of, uh, a monster win, uh, against a Zaleski and Neil Magny made him look like he didn't even belong in the octagon with him. So, you know, when Magny's on, he can be crazy dangerous. I mean, this guy has, 
cardio for days. He pushes an intense pace. He just wears people out. Uh, I mean, we've seen it over and over again that, uh, that guys that try to hang with him, uh, they just run out of steam and then they get finished. Um, it happened against, uh, Kunamoto. It happened against Hyunju Lim. It happened against Hector Lombard. Um, it happened, uh, against, you know, I just, I just think that Neil Magny is super talented and it seems like he's bounced back because he was gone for a while after that loss to, to Pondinibio. Uh, and that was a tough loss, but Antonibio is one of the best welterweights in the world. So I don't think that's a terrible loss on his record. And I think that, uh, you know, that Magny's back and he could potentially be right back in the mix in the top 10. So, uh, the only real thing that Magny has going against him, and this has been his Achilles heel repeatedly is he does not have a very good chin. He's not durable. Um, and when he faces really, really good grapplers, he can get submitted. But I don't think Martin's ground game is good enough to tap out Magny. So I see Magny out-wrestling him. If it goes to the canvas, I see Magny getting top position, dropping some bombs. Um, and on the feet, yes, Martin has some pop. And Martin does have some pretty good striking technique. But Magny has really started to use that jab well. Um, and he can be very frustrating to fight because of that. So on the feet, I think Magny's going to be at an advantage too. The only thing I'm worried about is if Martin catches him. And he could, because Magny's been caught before. He's been caught uh, by quite a few guys, actually, over the, the course of his career. So uh, I can't say that it won't happen. But um, if it doesn't happen, if he doesn't get caught with a, a wild submission out of nowhere or that big head kick or big bomb on the feet, I think Magny just outworks Martin over the course of three rounds, wears him out, and Martin... Earlier in his career, had a tendency of uh, gassing. I could see that actually come back here because of the way Magny makes people work and wears them out. I could see Magny uh, forcing Martin to just run out of steam and maybe even getting a, a late stoppage. So my pick's going to be Magny. Now dropping down to the bantamweight division, we have Aljamain Sterling, who is eighteen and three, taking on Corey Sanhagen, who is twelve and one. Now Nick. What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Aljamain Sterling, minus 145. Corey Sanhagen, plus 115. That was the opening line. And right now what we're seeing on the Don Best screen is virtually a pick on minus 110. Either way, in most places, we are still still seeing Sterling at minus 115. Minus 105 for Sanhagen some places as well. So this line is going to kind of stay around Pick'em. I, I expect it to flip, though, honestly, because I think the overall public support is going to come in on Sanhagen. That said, there's going to be a lot of sharp action that agrees with Sanhagen as well. So another spot where we're going to see two-way sharp action come in. A lot of sharp action is going to come back in on Sterling for sure as well. So this is another awesome fight. I mean, just two of the best for sure right now. The winner obviously moves up. And gets the number one contender spot for the title. So this is such an important fight at bantamweight for both of these guys. I mean, the bantamweight division period, it's just, I mean, you could argue that these guys deserve a title shot, especially Aljamain Sterling at this point of his career. Um, so by far, this is the winner of this fight is going to get that next title shot. I mean, I, there's almost no question about that. So both these guys are going to be game. Both of these guys are going to come in, obviously, on a hot streak and confident and at their best, really, in most cases. The only thing that we have to consider here is obviously the pandemic and how, you know, that's affected people's training. So that's, I mean, from top to bottom on every one of these fights, you got to 
expect a little bit of that too. You got to factor that in somewhat because these fighters are not getting the camps that they used to have before the pandemic was taking place. So maybe that's impacted some of these guys and they're not going to have the performances we're used to. So that's a little bit of my fear here. Um, I think more so for me with Sterling than uh, Sanhagen. But that being said, you kind of almost have to throw that out the window a little bit and just look and focus on this matchup too. And and that's what you got to focus on the most, I think, because how these guys match up and it's an awesome matchup. I mean, Sanhagen, it's just so relentless at his pace and pressure, and he definitely has a stand-up edge in this fight. He just doesn't let up. I mean, Sterling's probably going to be on his back foot most of the time and mixing up those unorthodox strikes that he has. I mean, he's got good kicks that he can uh, deliver, and he's got those long arms that he's going to be popping Sanhagen with from time to time as well. But I think Sanhagen is, again, the pressure fighter. He mixes things up so well. He goes to the body well. He's got a good clinch game. I mean, there's a lot to like about Sanhagen, especially on the feet in this spot. So I get the advantage that he has there. I just think in a way Aljamain Sterling if he fights smart he could kind of duck under and get those body locks that he likes to get and have success doing so in this spot here against Sanhagen and once he does that I think he's going to be able to at least control the fight even if he drags Sanhagen to the floor and Sanhagen kind of scrambles back up real quick I think we could see this happen time and time again throughout the fight where Sterling kind of ducks under something grabs his body lock real quick and then again grab drags him against the cage drags him down a little bit, scores points that way. It's not going to be a pretty fight if that happens. Um, or if Sterling does get top control, I mean, obviously, yeah, he's got the ground advantage overall. It's just the problem with Sanhagen is the issue that Sterling might have on the ground is Sanhagen continues to move. Even if he gets put on his back, Sanhagen doesn't stop. I mean, he's constantly in motion and he's constantly looking to scramble or he's constantly looking, you know, to, to submit you back or grab Kimura or do whatever he can to get out of that spot, which you got to respect. So that's why this is going to be an interesting scrap from top to bottom. Uh, but I do lean a little bit more towards Sterling because of the grappling, despite what I just said, because I think he's going to probably, he's improved enough on the feet that he is going to be effective. And I think he is going to keep things at least close. But that said, again, the edge goes to Sanhagen. I get it. But I think it probably is a little bit closer than most people are anticipating, even on the feet. And then factor in, like I said, Sterling kind of getting those um, body lock grabs and get, mixing in some takedowns from time to time, maybe even catching Sanhagen's back. Um, I think that could sway the fight for Sterling, you know, possibly even maybe getting a submission. I doubt it. I think these guys could probably withstand each other, neutralize each other out on the ground. Um, so I don't think we see a finish there. And if there's going to be a finish on the feet, it's more than likely Sanhagen digging into the body of Sterling or catching him with a knee or something like that. And I could see that possibly playing out. So it's all about line value here and line grab here. I mean, uh, the people that came in early on and grabbed the Sanhagen value, I get it. I understand it. Um, but I honestly think that you can make a case for Sterling being that opening price at minus 145, minus 150, and where the price, because of his grappling advantage alone, I mean, you know, factor everything in, and he's faced the better competition. I know Sanhagen has faced really solid competition, don't get me wrong, but overall, Sterling has faced the better competition, and I think Sterling is still one step ahead. So I'm leaning a little bit more towards Sterling in this spot, and I'm kind of waiting and anticipating this line to maybe flip towards Sanhagen. And if it does, then even money at Sterling or, you know, plus maybe even get plus 05 or whatever the case may be for Sterling, I'm definitely going to try to hop aboard on that spot for sure. Um, so it's kind of, you know, wait and see the line game type of sort of speak in this spot because I think we're still going to see more action come in Sanhagen's way but I wouldn't be surprised to see the line flip back towards Sterling and maybe even rise because I think there's going to be some sharp action that agrees and comes in that way even more so I know again both guys have already been bet with sharp action on both sides of this but I still think there's more to come and I still think the overall public action is going to lean more towards Sanhagen anyway so this is going to be interesting to see where this line goes and where it closes by fight time because I could see it close right where it did with Sterling opening at minus 145 or I could see 
see uh, Sanhagen closing at like minus 125-ish or something like that or minus 120. So this is going to be interesting for sure. I love this fight. This is by far the best fight on the card for me personally because I think both of these guys are just at the peak of their careers, and we're going to see such a, an amazing fight here back and forth. So I'm going to pick Sterling to win this fight, and it is that grappling edge that he has slightly over Sanhagen, but – this should be a doozy, man. And again, I, I would just kind of play the pricing game. If you're going to take Sandhagen and you like him, I mean, I would grab the low money that's out there right now, minus 105 or w- whatever the case may be. If not, I mean, or you could play, like I said, if the line closes because heavy sharp action does agree with Sterling, I mean, you might be able to get some plus money there. So, but that being said, I still think the line more likely is going to flip towards Sandhagen at some point, And you're going to miss out on that minus 105 or the even monies that you can still get in some places. I know in Vegas stations casino right now has even money still on Sandhagen. So, I mean, you know, those 105s, like I said, even monies are probably going to be gone sooner or later. So you might want to hop on Sandhagen if you're leaning that way now. Uh, because I think the line is going to get worse for him. And if you're a Sterling better, you might want to wait because I think we could get a better spot for Sterling. And again, that's kind of what I'm leaning to do and I'm looking forward to. So let's see how it plays out. But my pick is Sterling and what should be an awesome fight. I've really, really been impressed with what I've seen out of Corey Sanhagen. I mean, absolutely. This kid is has lit the world on fire since arriving in the UFC. Um, he's looked unstoppable so far, um, gone Five and zero, including uh, impressive performances against guys like Yuri Alcantara, a guy that was, you know, uh, a solid veteran of the the division, and then more recently uh, getting that close decision over John Lineker, and then convincingly beating uh, a Sun Tso, uh who is a guy that's been at the top of the division for years. So. Uh, Sanhagen absolutely has earned my respect. Uh, I think this guy is, his talent is through the roof. Um, he has a, a good body for the division. He's long, lanky, knows how to use it too. Um, good use of distance, trains out of Colorado. So with that elevation, so he has a lot going for him. That being said, uh, the Aljamain Sterling that we've seen in his last um, four fights is a completely different animal. I mean, this guy looks incredible. Um, because, uh, you know, you remember five fights ago, he took on Marlon Moraes. He got knocked out in a minute, but ever since he has just been unstoppable and, and it's, and he has torn through some of the best of the best of the best. I mean, his first fight back, he, he handed Brett Johns his first career loss. Uh, and it was a very good performance. And that was a guy with a lot of confidence. Uh, then he took on Cody Stamen, uh, and handed him his first loss in the UFC, I think. Uh, then Jimmy Rivera, a guy that was right at the top. Uh, and then most recently, Pedro Munoz, another guy right at the top. So, uh, to convincingly beat four guys in a row that are all elite fighters, especially the last three, um, I mean, that just speaks volumes for Aljamain Sterling's talent. I mean, this was a guy that I had pegged as a top potential title threat when he entered the UFC as an unfinished product. And back then he was, you know, all about just being a really, really sneaky, good grappler, a lot of funky styles that he mixed up on the canvas uh, with a very strong wrestling base with good submissions, but the striking wasn't there yet. And it's still not all the way there, but he has made some serious strides to the point where he can be competitive with some very good strikers on the feet. And he's actually starting to get a little bit of pop in his hands too. So, you know, this guy is becoming a complete 
uh, completely well-rounded mixed martial artist and a threat from just about anywhere. And when he becomes more of a threat on the feet, that makes his ground that much more dangerous because you have to respect the stand-up so you can't stop the ground as easily. And I think that's what's going to happen here. Uh, Sanhagen is still going to have the edge on the feet, I think. He, you know, he's got the power. He's got the, the length. But if he has to respect Sterling's stand-up uh, and he falls for some feints, and Sterling is able to get inside and drag him to the canvas, even though Sanhagen is good on the ground, he's not as good there as Sterling. I mean, that is his bread and butter. He is elite on the canvas. I mean, he freaking put Cody Stamen in a solo of stretch and forced a tap. I mean, that is insane, because Stamen is so good on the ground, too, and is such a strong wrestler uh, to do that to somebody like that. Um, that just speaks volumes. And... Uh, I just think that in this fight, uh, we're going to see Sterling at his absolute best. And even though Sanhagen has looked so good so far, I don't think he's faced somebody like Sterling. And I think Sterling is crazy motivated right now. And I just think that he's unstoppable. And, and he potentially is going to be the next champion at 135 pounds by the, when he fights for it. So my pick is going to be Aljamain Sterling. I think Sanhagen will hold his own on the feet. But when this goes to the ground, Sterling's taken over. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening, also in the Bantamweight division, we have Rafaela Sunsau, who is 27 and 7, taking on former champion Cody Garbrandt, who is 11 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Garbrandt opened minus 140, the comeback on a Sunsau, plus 120. And right now, what we're seeing on the Don Best screen is still minus 140, plus 120. This line's been bet up and down. Another spot, like we were just talking about with the Aljo and Sanhagen fight, that we're seeing two-way sharp action come in on this fight. A lot of split opinions on this one as well. And this is tough, man. I love me some Garbrandt overall. I mean, I think the guy is a talented fighter, tremendous fighter. I'm always going to be rooting for him. I mean, the guy, again, he's got Ohio ties as well. So, you know, how I support my Ohio fighters from time to time. Just, you know, as far as being a fan and, and hoping them well, wishing them well. But the betting window is a different situation, obviously. Uh, and that said, I think this personally is a tough spot to bet him at. I mean, we have to see after the three devastating losses that he suffered back to back to back. I mean, he's facing another game fighter in a Sunsau. Sunsau not really known for his knockout power, but make, make no mistake, the guy's a smart fighter and he doesn't like he's not weak in his punches, put it that way. So, I mean, I think that he's accurate enough to to give Garbrandt some trouble on the feet at times, you know, and then on top of it, Asuncao obviously has a really good ground game, but I've been nothing but impressed with Garbrandt's defensive wrestling at times. Obviously he's capable of keeping the fight upright. And if he keeps it upright, I mean, if this becomes a stand-up affair, he is the better striker. Garbrandt is the better striker here. So he should be able to outpoint Asuncao. Obviously we know who hits harder too. It's Garbrandt, man. The guy has thunder in his fist. I mean, the guy definitely has accuracy and knockout power and he can put people out and a Sunsau is not getting any younger either. So this fight is kind of made for a Sunsau to kind of lose to Garbrandt. Honestly. I mean, I think matchmaking wise, they want Garbrandt to kind of redeem himself and bounce back and, and get himself irrelevant again. I mean, it, it's just a quality matchup. I'm not saying the UFC is trying to push Garbrandt to a win, but just in my opinion, this is kind of the, one of those type of fights because I think they're going to get more out of Garbrandt. I mean, he was on his way to becoming a star before the setback. I know he's had some time off, which is probably really good for him. He ended up getting some time to heal, um, which he you know desperately needed mentally and physically a little bit. So that's good for him. I think that bodes well for him in this spot. But, you know, I still – at minus 140 – 
I still have a difficult time kind of laying that chalk on him at this point until we see him kind of bounce back, get that confidence back in his overall game and, and get the W here over Sunsau. So for me, it's another one of these things that you got to play the line. If the line drops significantly and Garbrandt drops down to like a buck 20, buck 25, then you could possibly play Garbrandt. If the line where it is right now, plus 120, if it goes, I mean, I'm staying away. I don't want to bet a Sunsau in this spot, to be honest with you, but you know, it's a dog or pass situation probably where the line is right now. So, I mean, if you're getting plus 125, plus 130-ish uh, for a Sunsau, that's probably way to, the way to go over Garbrandt. But again, it, it's a difficult spot. I mean, it's another tough fight to call. And I think that we could see realistically playing out both ways. I'm going to root for Garbrandt. Um, obviously, I'm going to pick him to win here as well because I think he is the better fighter at this point in their career. You just have to have a little bit of question marks around him. And I think Asuncao is always game and he's going to bring the fight for sure. So that's why I'm not ultra confident right now, but I hope Garbrandt gets it done. And I, I hope we see him get that confidence back and, and show the talent that he has, man. This guy is such a good fighter. I mean, one of the best offensive fighters in the entire Bantamweight division. I mean, that performance that he put against Dominic Cruz to take that title was just uh, just masterful. I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, it, you can't ask for anything better. I mean, Garbrandt, that was the best Garbrandt we've ever seen. That was one of the best performances in the history of the UFC in any weight class that we've seen. That's how good that performance was. So I hope we get to see a little bit of that again from Garbrandt because, man, he's so talented and so good. So my pick is Garbrandt, but at the betting window where it is now, honestly, I'm staying away from this one as well. And I understand the concern with Garbrandt. I mean, he's been knocked out three times in a row violently. That being said, the talent is still there. I mean, the kid has lightning in his hands. He's got power. He's got technique. His boxing is crisp. His takedowns are decent. His takedown defense is superb. And he's still young. So uh, he's a very, very capable fighter. He just needs to protect himself a little bit better. Because when he's on, his head movement is insane. But when he just bites down in his mouthpiece and wings it, that's where he gets in trouble. And he just can't afford to do that. His chin just is not good enough. Um, not only was he knocked out those three times, but, you know, historically he's had issues. Uh, you know, he got hurt against Henry Briones back at UFC 189. He got knocked out violently and quickly in a, a fight back in his amateur career. So, you know, you just can't afford to get overconfident or make that mistake. Um, so when Garbrandt fights up to his ability level, he's practically unstoppable. But when he, you know, kind of fights down and allows his opponent to even have the opportunity to hit him in the chin, yeah, he can get cracked. He can get hurt. He can get finished. So, and that's what's been happening lately. And it, it has been happening against some very good fighters, that being said as well. So, um, I think that this year off is going to do really good for him. I think he knows what he needs to work on. He knows he needs to improve the head movement and go back to, uh, fighting the way that he was that earned him the title when, you know, Dominic Cruz could barely touch him. So, um, uh, I think he's going to bounce back here. You know, a Sun Sao's no joke. I mean, this guy's been a top five fighter pretty much in the Bantamweight division for half of a decade, if not longer. So, uh, you can't ever discount him. And even though he doesn't have, you know, knockouts, a Sun Tzu has hurt people on the feet. You know, he does have some pop and he does have some pretty good striking technique. So you can't sleep on him. And it wouldn't shock me in the least that if Garbrandt, uh, does not protect his chin and doesn't use his head movement, that a Sun Tzu could pick up that knockout win. It could totally happen. 
Um, that being said, um, I don't see a Sunstyle being able to utilize his uh, submission skills here because I don't think Garbrandt allows it to go to the ground or stay there. And in a pure stand-up fight, Garbrandt is the more talented fighter here. Um, so I have to side with Garbrandt, but the threat and the vulnerability of Garbrandt is still a major, major issue. So I understand it, but I'm going to side with Garbrandt anyway. So my pick is going to be Cody Garbrandt. Now, this brings us to the main event of the evening in the women's featherweight division. We have the champion, Amanda Nunes, who is 19 and 4, taking on Felicia Spencer, who is 8 and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Nunes minus 700, Spencer plus 450. That was the opening line. It did open a while back, a little bit lower. Now, like I said, since this got reannounced, moved, whatnot. Nunez opened a lot higher, minus 700, poor, four, plus 450. More time to prepare a little bit for Spencer and her game planning and all that stuff. So I understand it. I mean, Nunez is one of the most dominant champions of all time, female fighters of all time. I mean, a lot of people think she's the greatest of all time. You can't argue it with her quality wins and her resume. There's no question about that. And, I mean, her skill set, she's gotten so much better. We're talking about fighters improving. I mean, we've seen Nunez in the past. I mean, when she was coming up, she had some flaws in her game. I mean, her takedown defense at times, her conditioning at times, it really let her down. I mean, she's susceptible to getting subbed. There's a lot of mistakes that she's corrected, and she's since improved with work in the gym and with good coaching and good training. Everything kind of came together right for her to be on this dominant run that she's on. And a lot of people don't expect Felicia Spencer to be the girl that dethrones her, and I understand it. And, you know, it's kind of tough to back Spencer right now, but I can't – let me tell you this right now. You cannot lay the current price that's out there, which I haven't stated yet, but I will right now. It's minus 600 plus 450-ish out there on the Dom best screen. So minus 600 plus 450s, you're going to see, you know, that range quite a bit across the screen. And even though the line's not minus 700 anymore, you can't lay 600 either, especially in this spot. Um, Nunez is a really talented fighter. I get it. I understand it. She can go out there and spark Spencer in the first round. I mean, she's capable of doing so time and time again. She's made me money too and, you know, several spots along the way where she was a little bit undervalued. So I appreciate that, you know, but again, I think Spencer, if anything, is a little bit undervalued in this spot here. Um, she's tough as nails. She proved that in her loss to Cyborg. I think you, sometimes you could take a lot out of losses um, from fighters. You know, you can, it really, it means a lot to see her get thrown in the fire against one of another female dominant fighter like Cyborg. I mean, a heavy hitter and uh, that usually dominates her opponents and, and puts them out of there, right? Now, obviously, Nunes a win over Cyborg, but again, throw MMA math out the window um, completely, right? But that said, I, I liked what I saw in Spencer that fight. She was game, man. I mean, she sliced open Cyborg early in that fight. She absorbed a lot of punishment. She took it well. I mean, she, she had that fight like that will to win in that fight and it definitely wasn't a bad performance at all she was competitive at times for sure against cyborg it's just unfortunately for her cyborg has good conditioning she was able to keep the fight upright um, for the most part obviously and, and did her thing and and how struck her now this is a different matchup because this is a five-round fight Nunes, typically speaking, doesn't have the conditioning of a cyborg. I mean, her conditioning has looked a lot better as of late for sure, but we might be seeing her a little complacent at times. I mean, there's a lot going on. When you're on top of the food chain, when you're the king of the world, or the, in this case, the queen of the world, and you're just the dominant champion that everybody respects, and you're just going out there and destroying most of your competition – Where's the motivation at that point? You know what I mean? I know she wants to maintain and stay at the top of the mountain, but you have a younger competitor opponent that's coming up trying to steal what you got. 
you know, trying to take what you got. So I think Spencer kind of fits that mold here. And Spencer does have a path to victory, and it's definitely the ground. I mean, it's going to be hard for her to get the fight to the floor for sure, especially early on in this fight. Uh, maybe I'm, you know, maybe she might surprise us, and, and I could be wrong, and she gets it down a little bit earlier than we all think. But that being said, I think if she survives the early going, if she survives round one, round two, if this goes into round three, round four, round five, we could definitely see Spencer having a little bit more success because I think Nunez is going to be more susceptible to the takedowns. And if Spencer gets Nunez's back, she's going to be in trouble. So again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, making a case how Spencer can win this fight. And I think she's tough enough to kind of withstand the early pressure. I think if anything, the bet over one and a half rounds early on was probably great. And I'm saying early on because the line, I think opened around minus 150 ish and now it's around minus 200. So again, another spot where the value got taken away, obviously got bet up and it's a lot harder to lay minus 200 in that spot. Because again, we could see Nunez go out there and, and just destroy Spencer. Like she has been in, in most cases and against most, most of her opponents. I understand that. So this is another difficult one to bet, really. I mean, the price is almost right, a little bit high, I think, for Nunez right now. Spencer deserves a little bit more respect at the betting window that she's getting right now. But I'm not going to pick it against, you know, Amanda Nunez. I can't do it. You know, I'm a sane person. I mean, I'm not going to think that Nunez is done by any means or whatnot. But I do have respect for Spencer. I think she's a tough fight. She's going to come to fight. She's going to come to try to take that strap. This is a featherweight, by the way, as well. And this is officially, I believe, Nunez's first title defense. So... You know, like I said, I, I just think that Nunez is in for a tougher fight than most people expect. She did want more time to prepare for this fight. Um, again, with the pandemic, with not being able to train like she wanted to, you got to take that in consideration as well. And I think that was kind of a smart move by Nunez. I mean, I think she's, she feels the threat and the, you know, the tools that Spencer has. I think she's respecting those tools. She's training a lot with PFL champion Kayla Harrison. We've seen some photos and some proof of that, I guess, along the way, Nunez. And that's a great training partner to have, especially for, um, you know, fighting a chick like Spencer. I mean, so she's doing all the right things still, but I still think that we're going to see Spencer be game and, and put on hopefully good performance. And I, you know, if, if that's the case, then this should be a pretty fun fight, a lot better than what he's anticipating. But the pick is Nunez. Just don't bet it. Don't lay that chalk, man. I mean, I honestly, there's no value. Usually, obviously, if there's no value in a straight play, there's no value in a parlay either. And I really don't think there's value at the current price right now either way. So I wouldn't even parlay this one, to be honest with you. I know most of you guys aren't going to listen. You're going to throw a Nunez in a ton of parlay. So, you know, do what you want, I guess, with it. It's your call. But I, I would not do that. I would stay away from this fight. It's really a dog or pass situation. I'm not going out there telling you to bet Spencer right now either because I get it. I get the scenario. But there's no way I can lay the chalk. So my pick is Nunez, and I hope it's a great fight. And Felicia Spencer definitely has my respect. Uh, anybody that can go the distance with Cyborg, you know, Cyborg, somebody that has the history of destroying opponents like Cyborg did, especially in Cyborg's bounce back fight from her first loss in, you know, years and years. Um, she has my respect. I mean, she's tough. She's capable. She's a decent striker. She's insanely talented on the ground. Um, so that being said, I, I just think she's outgunned here. I mean, Amanda Nunes is so well-rounded now. I mean, she didn't used to be. Uh, she used to have, have be, uh, have major cardio issues. She used to be very vulnerable on the ground. Um, and she used to just completely run out of steam and, uh, you know, and, and she could get just beat up on the ground, not just submitted. Um, that is no longer the case. Um, she has shored up her ground game. Her wrestling is very good now. Uh, her takedowns are strong, and she can use those in reverse, which she absolutely is going to against Spencer because um, 
Nunez's biggest strength in this fight is going to be her her hands. Uh, against Randami, who was a world-class kickboxer, uh, Nunez stuck with her on the feet at first when she still had all of that, you know, pep in her step. But the second she started to slow down to hit, boom, instant fight IQ through the roof, change, went in for takedowns, took Randami's striking out of the equation. Um, great performance in that fight. Um, mad respect for uh, Nunez for realizing in the moment that uh, Randami's striking was at least as good, if not better than hers, and why risk it, you know? So same thing applies here. Why risk it? It just goes the other way. Why go to the ground with Felicia Spencer? Uh, so if I'm Nunez, I keep my distance. I work uh, my hands, my feet, you name it, find the openings, and just work over Spencer. Uh, the only real thing I'm concerned about is uh, if Nunez potentially hurts Spencer and can't put her away and does tire herself out that way. And if that happens, I think that there is an opening for Spencer. Uh, but I just think that it's a very, very small window. Uh, Nunez is still fighting at such an elite level right now that it's just really tough to go against her again with anybody in the world at this point. So uh, I'm going to side with Nunez. I think that she outworks Spencer over the course of five rounds on the feet, potentially finishes her along the way. That's not a guarantee just because Spencer's already proven how tough she is uh, going the distance with Cyborg in her last loss. So uh, I'm going to side with Nunez. I think it she uh, picks up the win here, but I do understand that uh, – that there is a very small window for Spencer, and perhaps she could find that perfect moment. But I just don't think that this goes to the ground. I don't think Nunez gasses, and I don't think Nunez uh, puts herself in a position to lose the belt. So I think she remains the, the two-division champ for the foreseeable future. So my pick is going to be Amanda Nunez. I think... It wouldn't surprise me to see her pace herself and win a decision, but I also think that she might be able to finish Spencer along the way, especially if she really settles into a groove on the feet. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 250. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOddsbreaker.com and we'll add you to a free bet mailing list. Special thanks to MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.